Solve for X, finding and following God's will. This is week three of this series. Solve for X, finding and following God's will. Uh, Last uh, time, or the first week rather, I should say, we talked about the two boundaries of God's will. If you remember, we looked at a football field to kind of get a good understanding of the the sidelines being the boundaries uh, of God's will. One sideline or one boundary represents the providential will of God. And what the providential will of God is those things that are going to happen, that God wills to happen, that are going to happen no matter what. It's God's will to, to send Jesus back for his church, the bride, to come back a second time. Then it's going to happen because we believe that's God's will. It doesn't matter if we pray for it, if we pray against it. It's God's providential will. It's going to happen no matter what. Some people call this God's sovereign will. And so that's one boundary. And then we, we looked at the other sideline and we said this is a boundary of uh, God's moral will, which is what God's will for your life is is morally. For example, the Bible says that uh, it is God's will. This is in 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is honorable and holy and honorable, not impassionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now, that's something that we don't have to pray about, right? I, I told you, if a young lady... Uh, has a boyfriend, and the boyfriend says, hey, we should just move in together. We'll save money. We don't have to get married. Then the young lady doesn't have to pray, God, what do you want me to do? She doesn't have to pray about that. We know what, what God's will is. God's will is no, because that's, you know, that's uh, uh, outside. That would be having sex outside of marriage, and that's against God's moral will. So boundary number one, or one of the sidelines, is a providential will of God, what he's going to do no matter what. The second boundary is a moral will of God, And in between those two boundaries is what we call the personal will of God. And and I said to you that first week that the better we understand God's providential will or or God's sovereign will, and the more we align our lives to God's uh, providential will, and the more we obey God's moral will, then the easier it is for us to discern God's personal will for our lives. So last week we we spoke about the importance of asking God for wisdom. And not just asking God for wisdom, but understanding that God sometimes uses other believers to guide us. So we talked about asking God for wisdom and asking other believers for counsel when we need to make an important decision. The Bible says that there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. And let me say again that if you missed either of these two or both of these two, Go to our website and listen to them, uh, or if you uh, listen to, you can listen to them also on a podcast. Uh, you can download our app and listen there. But I really, really would like for you to listen to those first two, not because I think they're they're great, because I think I'm a great preacher. I don't I don't think that, but I think this is important content, and I think it's helpful content from God's Word. And today, as we continue this series, I want to speak to you about the importance of having. A renewed mind in determining God's will for our lives. So we're going to read from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And it reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true 
and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve, test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I heard an interesting story this summer on a podcast, and then I looked up the information. It was just an amazing story. It's about a man who was named Phineas Gage. And Phineas Gage lived in the 1800s, and he was an American railroad construction worker. In fact, he was a foreman who had an accident on the job where this large iron pole was driven into his head and went through his head and came out the top of his head, went through his brain. In fact, here's a, a picture of what this looked like. This is Phineas Gage, by the way, on the right. And this is where the pole came through and where it came out. Now, the reason you see a picture of him is because he survived this accident. Isn't that amazing? He survived the accident, but this pole was actually driven in, as you can tell, through his head and through his frontal lobe or the prefrontal uh, cortex. And so what happened is that after the accident, it said that his personality just changed dramatically. His friends said that uh, he was once, before this, he was a, a, a very kind man, very hardworking man. Like I said, he was a foreman. After the accident, he became a very rude and vulgar man, very lazy. There's some discrepancy as to whether this lasted until the end of his life. Others say, no, it, it only lasted a, a few years and eventually came back to normal. But the fact that he survived this, they were actually able, neuroscientists were able to analyze his brain and to see some of the importance and functions of the frontal lobe. And not just this example, but throughout the years, they've been studying the brain. And one of the things that neuroscientists have learned about the prefrontal uh, cortex, this front part of the brain, the frontal lobe, is that it's a part of the brain that weighs outcomes. It's a part of the brain that forms judgments, and it controls impulses and emotions. We use our frontal lobe every day. We use this part of the, of the brain every day. We use it to make decisions. Something as simple as what are we going to eat for breakfast that morning. Or, or, or something a little more difficult like when we're studying for a test. Or we're doing some, some deep thinking. Uh, the frontal lobe is also where our personality is formed. And where we carry out the, the higher mental processes the planning, the, the, the complex decisions that we have to make. All this happens in the frontal lobe and the prefrontal cortex. Now, the thing, about, the thing about the prefrontal cortex is that it's not fully developed in young people, in teenagers, until really the early 20s, in some cases until the, the mid-20s. So teenagers are growing up with a lot of intelligence, a lot of knowledge, but with their prefrontal cortex not fully developed. And that might explain why your lovely teenager does things that seem so stupid or so dangerous. And they leave you asking, what were you thinking? Well, maybe they weren't. Because that part of the brain 
isn't fully developed. And I think all of us could give uh, stories or tell stories about our teenagers or about ourselves when we were teenagers and how we didn't think things through. You know, we just we just kind of did stuff without thinking them through. When um, one of the trips, when my mother-in-law was still alive, we went to go visit her one winter and uh, it was either in November or, or December. And uh, she and uh, and my wife's stepdad, Larry, lived uh, out of town, a really nice piece of land. They had a pond out there. And it was just just very, very peaceful, very quiet. We love to go there. And so this particular uh, season was very cold. This day was very cold. We had had a re- really hard freeze. There was ice on the pond. And uh, so Larry's uh, teenage son... Larry was my mother-in-law's husband, and uh, his teenage son was visiting there too. And he decided he was going to walk out on the pond because it was looked like it was frozen over. But how many of you know that this is like this is Central Texas, not like Wisconsin, where they plug their cars in at night and the ponds really do freeze over. And uh, so he started walking out there, and you know, lo and behold, it wasn't as as frozen over as he thought, and he barely made it back. Uh, to the little pier, and his dad was so angry at him. He went out there, and he's just—I mean, he was—he was pretty angry. He, he had a, probably had a few choice words for him. And it, but I remember him saying, "What are you thinking?" Well, he's a teenager. He's not thinking. You know that that uh, teenagers do that, and we did too. And some of that might have to do with the fact that the, that prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. Now, as adults, as adults, our brains might be fully developed, but we may still make a lot of dumb decisions unless our minds have been renewed. And if our minds have not been renewed, we'll have a difficult time determining God's will for our lives. And so what I want to talk to you about today, and the big idea for what I want to talk to you is this, that a mind renewed by God is necessary. It's necessary To learn to find and follow God's will. A mind renewed by God is necessary to learn to find and follow God's will. Now God's will is not a formula. Maybe we'd like for it to be something easy. We can just, you know, plug it into an equation like an algebra and it pops out. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be kind of challenging like an equation. But it's not a formula and it's not a feeling. But there are some very powerful principles that can help us find and follow God's will. And I want to talk to you about some of those today. The first one I want to talk to you is, is the principle of dedication. And the principle of, dedi- principle of dedication says that the starting point for knowing God's will is complete dedication to God. That has to be the starting point to get to a place where we can discern God's will, where we can find and follow God's will. Paul wrote to the Romans, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To offer your bodies. Now, this is a dedication, a complete commitment to God. And what we notice about this dedication is that, first of all, it's voluntary. He says to offer When you offer something, that means you're making a voluntary decision, right? No one's forcing you. Some versions say to present your body. 
Well, when you present something, when you give someone a present, you're not you know, asking them for anything. It's just something you do voluntarily. I like the, the Williams paraphrase. It says, make a decisive dedication. Make up your mind. Offer it to God. It's voluntary. It's not only voluntary, but it's practical. Because Paul said, offer your bodies. Why, does it, why doesn't he say, offer your soul? Offer your spirit to God. He says, offer your bodies to God. Because that's practical. That's, that's real life. If God owns your body, he owns you. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, I can't make it to, I can't make it to the meeting tonight, but uh, hey, I'll be there with you in spirit, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's a great sentiment, but uh, as a practical matter, it's not helpful, is it? If you needed them there for a vote or for a disc- or whatever. As a practical matter, it's worthless. If they say, I'll be with you in spirit, well, good. And, and I mean, that's fine. That, um, that's not really a problem. But I'm just saying there's a difference between uh, offering our spirits and offering our bodies. Because your spirit doesn't do anything if your body isn't there. You know, it's one thing uh, for us to, to say, for example, we're, uh, this being Mission Sunday. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give money to missions. And that's good. That's part of what we should do. But another thing to say, like, um, this missionary we've prayed for his family today. I'm going to give my body and I'm going to go spend my life on the mission field. Because when you give your body, you're giving yourself. So he's just saying, be practical, give yourself to God. So uh, we, we see that it's voluntary, it's practical, and it's complete. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I mean, that's a complete, complete dedication. A sacrifice means a, a total, unconditional. If you sacrifice yourself, you're not... Put in any conditions. So this is a principle of dedication. But then he also gives us here the principle of insulation. And the principle of insulation is is that part of our dedication to God must include insulation from the world. The first step is to dedicate ourselves to God. But then we have to insulate ourselves from the world. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. To not conform to the pattern of this world. And when he talks about the world, he's not talking about the people of the world. God loves the people of the world. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he's talking about the, the, the world's values uh, system. He's talking about this age that we live in, this culture. He says, don't get caught up in the spirit of this age. The world's philosophies, don't be conformed to that. The world's values, what they, what they value. The, I think it's a Phillips, a J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Have you ever felt pressured by the world to conform your, your actions, to conform your language? That's the way everybody's doing it. Everybody talks that way. That's just locker room talk or whatever. Do you feel pressure to conform to that? He's saying, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't conform to this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Now, but how how do we do this? How can a Christian relate to the world he's living in, but not be dedicated to that world? Well, the answer is in insulation. And we insulate ourselves from the world. Some, some people are isolationists. Some people like to isolate themselves from the world. I don't want to have anything to do with the world. Therefore, I'm not going to dress like them. 
I'm not going to watch I'm not going to watch TV or go to the movies like them. I'm going to I'm just going to live differently. I'm going to isolate myself from the world. Isolation is not the answer. If we isolate ourselves, how are we going to share Christ with a hurting world? Other other uh, Christians go the opposite direction and instead of isolation they choose imitation instead of isolating themselves in the world they're imitating the world whatever the world does i'll do it too so that i can be relevant to them uh, i want to fit in but uh, paul is saying don't imitate the world's values so it's not isolation it's not imitation as i said to you the answer is insulation to insulate ourselves from the world how many of you like to eat seafood any of you here, eat seafood. I like seafood. I do. Uh, do you ever put salt on your seafood? Yeah, I, I, I don't use a lot of salt, but uh, once in a while, yeah, it needs a little seasoning, right? It needs a little salt with some other seasoning. Uh, if they don't do enough of that in the kitchen, uh, if I go to a restaurant, then I might add a little salt. That, what I think is interesting is that fish, you know, the fish that I'm eating has spent his entire life in salt water, and yet when I eat it, I put salt on it. How is that possible? You know, if God can keep fish in salt water all its life, and yet the salt doesn't permeate its body, if it did, it would you know, taste nasty, or as Carrie says, yucky. You know, if, if it, it's all its life in salt water, and yet the salt doesn't permeate its body, then I believe God can cr- keep us as Christians in a non-Christian world and keep us pure, insulated from the sin, insulated from the pattern of the world. So what Paul is saying here is that this world, this culture, is a completely unreliable source for getting direction for our lives. You can't find direction. If you're looking for God's will, what do I do here? What do I do in this case? You're not going to get it from the world. It's, unre- it's an unreliable source. Don't, get, don't be conformed to this world. You know, many people make decisions because that's what everybody else is doing. Uh, we know we're tempted to conform because maybe we don't want to stick out. We don't want people to think, oh, he's one of those, you know, he takes the Bible seriously. He's one of those holy rollers or whatever. Uh, I don't think we get called that anymore, but um, whatever it might be. Look, you can get your guidance in life from the world or from the word. And that's where we're headed with this. From the world or from the word. If you want to know God's will, don't get your cues from the world. Get them from the word. The problem today is that many Christians automatically accept whatever standard is out in the world, even if God says it's wrong. And there's many ways that this happens. We don't have time to go into them, but I will mention this. You know, television, movies, uh, the internet now, these are... Incredible influences on our lives. To watch a movie, and now you can stream movies on demand. And to, to watch a movie uh, and to accept things that you normally wouldn't accept into your, into your mind, that has a, a great influence on us. You know, if I were to call you or text you and say, Hey, I'd like to come over to your house, and I have this great story I want to tell you. And you say, yeah, come on, come on over. And so I go to your house and I tell you a story. And I tell you a story in graphic detail. I mean, it's a story about adultery. It's a story about sec, uh, you know, sexual 
situations, and it's a story about violence, and and I just I get real graphic, and I use some vulgar language. I mean, you you wouldn't allow that, would you? You'd say, "Pastor's gone crazy." You know, you wouldn't allow me going into your house, and then I say, "Well, bring the children, bring the children. I want them to hear this great story. It's a great story." No, you would say, "Pastor, no, I would never allow that." And yet, we allow that. Many times through the things that we watch on TV. And uh, I think we have to ask our questions. We have to ask the question, you know, what's, what's my tolerance level? What does it take before I get up and turn it off or do something else? You know, what's your limit? Because you know that whatever we see, whatever we read goes into our subconscious. So don't get your cues from the world. If you want to know God's will, first you've got to dedicate yourself to God. And second, you've got to insulate yourself from the world. And that takes us to the third principle, and that is the principle of transformation. The principle of transformation. The principle of transformation is that God brings about transformation through the renewing of our minds. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, He's talking about the Holy Spirit changing us so that, and on the inside and renewing our minds so that we will know His will. So we will know His will. The, the word here apparently in the Greek, and I don't read Greek, but from what I read is, is a word from which we get our uh, our word um, metamorphosis. He changes the nature of our personality. You know, psychologists say that you that children have their basic personality. It, their basic personality is set by the time your children are three or four years old. So think about your three-year-old or your four-year-old. That's their basic personality. Now your parents are saying, I mean, I knew that. <laughs> Personality came out. I knew that. But your personality can still be changed. That's just your basic personality. But overall, God is in the business of changing lives and transforming personalities, changing hearts. And I thank God for that. I thank God that He can change us. And the first step is dedication. Then we, we, the second step is insulation. We separate ourselves from the world in a spiritual sense. And then transformation takes place. By the renewing of your mind. And the key to changing our lives is to change the way we think. Because the way that we think determines the way we feel. And the way we feel determines the way we act. See, some people want to change the way they act. But they never address the way they think. Others want to change the way they feel. But they never address the way they think. You know, you, you, uh, you can't change the way you feel. Feelings don't respond well to commands, right? You can't command a feeling. Feelings maybe can't be controlled, but the, the, source of, the source of feelings can, and that is how you think. So the question then is, how do I renew my mind? Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, beginning with verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Now, what do you notice about those three verses? Every one of those verses has to do with the Bible, with God's word, with God's law. Obeying your word. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. In fact, every verse in that very long psalm, Psalm 119, has to do with God's word. Because the way you change your life is to reprogram your mind with the word of God. The more you fill your life, your mind with God's word, the more it transforms your life. And that's what we need to understand God's pleasing and perfect will. Now, this is, this is huge because, you know, in Isaiah, God says that His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are wiser than our thoughts. So He's telling us, you don't think like me. I don't think like you. I'm way over here. My ways and my thoughts are much higher and much wiser. And we're like, yeah, we, we understand that. But then Paul, to the, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he, he tells them something very interesting. He says this, he says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, and no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for us that love Him. But then he says, but God reveals those things to us through His Spirit. So he's saying the things that we can't see, the things we can't hear, the things that our minds our fully developed adult brain, our minds cannot conceive. God reveals those to us through His Spirit. And then at the end of the chapter, He says, because we have the mind of Christ. So, in order to understand the thoughts of God that are much wiser and much higher, the ways of God that are much higher and His thoughts that are much wiser... We have to have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean that we'll understand who God is and everything about God. It doesn't mean that we're going to be like a mini God or a mini Christ. It just means that God wants to reveal His will to us. But for that we have to have a renewed mind. And that comes through the Word of God. So the things that we, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't conceive. They're unfathomable to us. God says, I'll reveal those to you through my Spirit. And Paul tells the Ephesians that the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So it's through the Word of God. It's through reading the Word of God regularly that we are renewed in our minds. The Spirit of God renews our minds through the Word of God. And so we learn to read God, uh, to read the Word of God, rather, not just because... Um, you know, well, I better check it off for today, but because we're seeking the mind of God. Not just because, well, I'm going to look for the really practical things. I'm looking for a list of things that I can do. I want God to just spell it out. Uh, no, we're just, we're, not because we're looking for it to be practical, but because we want to know the mind of God. Or because, you know, I, I just want to find the promises. When, when, I was, uh, when I was young, I thought that was the way, that was the way to read the Bible. Find all the promises of God. Find the promises of God, and I would underline or highlight the promises of God. Oh, here's another promise. Here's another promise. But you know, that's not the way to do it. I was young. I was a teenager. Remember? Undeveloped prefrontal cortex. That's, that's all I knew. And there's so much more than that. It's, it's to discover the principles. There are principles there that apply 
to our life today. What I've shared with you today are principles that I've discovered. And, and you know, I've taken some time to try to formulate them in a way that I can remember them. And they're, they're principles. What I try to do when I preach is, is, is not necessarily give you step one, step two, step three. You know, that's important. I, I'll try to do it at the end of the sermon. Each, each time when I finish, I think back to, you know, what do I want them to know? But what do I want them to do? Something I learned from somebody else. I wasn't unique or, you know, with me. You know, what I want them to do. So practical steps is so important. But first, I want to find the principles of God's word. And, and when I have my, my devotional time and I read the scriptures and, and I pray, I try. And when I take notes, you know, I've got some notebooks at home that are filled with principles for my life. These principles that I discovered. And then I, I try to think about them and, and meditate on them so I can formulate it in a sentence. And, and then I write out a prayer to God. Based on those principles. So, you know, I've got some principles written down. This is, this is how we need to learn to read the Bible. So our minds will capture the mind of God. And our minds can be renewed. Find the principles in God's Word. By the way, how many of you would like for me to share some of those principles over the years that I've discovered and I've written down in my notebooks? Would you like to have a copy of those? You can't have them. Sorry. Because part of knowing the mind of God is you discovering those principles yourself. Is you reading the word of God. Is, is, is you struggling with, with this. Why? You know, struggling with attention. Why does this say this here? But it says something else. What does this mean? And praying. Part of, of you understanding the mind of God is, is learning to discover and to struggle. And learn those principles in God's word. And then God's will begins to make sense. Remember many years ago hearing David Wilkerson. Many of you know who David Wilkerson was. I remember many years ago uh, hearing him say, I think maybe I read it rather in a sermon that he preached, is that when, when you're following God and you're, you're, you're serving God and, and you're in communion with God, he says when you're looking for God's will, God's will just kind of grows on you. He said it just kind of grows on you. And I think he was just saying, look, when, when you're seeking the mind of God through through prayer, through His Word, through the principles of His Word, then some of these things just kind of rise to the top of, of your consciousness. And when it's time to make a decision, then you can go back to the things you've learned over the years, to what the Spirit of God has taught you as your mind has been renewed over, over the years because you're fully dedicated and you're insulated from the world, dedicated to God, insulated from the world, and your mind is being transformed through the renewing of your mind. And so this is, excuse me, this is what I believe is a very important part of us being able to find and follow God's will. God's will, here at the end uh, of verse 2, Paul says God's will is good, God's will is pleasing, it's acceptable, God's will is perfect, that means it's complete. And that's what I need for my life, but it's got to start with dedication to God, insulation from the world, and transformation through the renewing of our minds by the Spirit of God through God's Word. That's what God teaches us. And uh, I think God wants us to, to grow to a place where we can make decisions, the right decisions, seeking counsel from, from other believers, Asking God to give us wisdom, which God does generously and without finding fault. And because we know the principles of God's word. When something 
appears before us and we've got to decide and we can fall back. Well, God's word, I've learned that here's a principle and it applies right here. And it gives us a groundwork, gives us a foundation to make those decisions.